You're listening to the Sixers Beat with your host, Derek Bodner, right here on LibertyBallers.com and LibertyBroadcast.co. Welcome, everybody. This is Derek Bodner. I'm joined once again by Rich Hoffman on the latest Sixers Beat, part of the CLNS Media Network. We have a couple of topics to go over. The the continued look for Saga and his attempts to try to get a buyout and to get onto another team or a trade. He's he's open anywhere as long as he can play basketball. Ben Simmons' injury updates, the ankle, the elbow. The elbow kept him out of one game against the Orlando Magic. Ankle happened, uh, happened yesterday against Cleveland Cavaliers. Quick hit on the, the team's recent play of late. You know, three and one over their last four. The only loss being last night to Cleveland. Touch on a couple mailbag questions and maybe preview the Sixers' upcoming schedule. How you doing, Rich? Derek, I think we missed our window. If we would have done this on Sunday, it would have been, been a completely a positive. Podcast, yeah. The NBA it, news, it never stops. It, it does not. Neither do games. And after playing, I mean, look, this team was on a run. They were 10-3 and three in their last 13. I think they had the third best net rating uh, over that span. I think they had sixth in offense, sixth in defense. They were playing really good basketball. Last night against the Cavs was not. It was an off night in pretty much every facet. They didn't defend how they've been defending. They didn't make open shots. They didn't get in the paint with the regularity they previously were. It was, it was you know, right from the jump, it just seemed like that was a game that could get away from them. They brought it back in the third quarter, thanks largely to Joel Embiid and, and his play in that frame. But it just always seemed like every time they made a run, I never, I never completely bought that they were really competing in that game. And I think Embiid is where I want to start with that game. Because even though he had that really good third period, what, what do you have, 15, 16 points? Yeah, something that like frame? that, yep. Uh, and, and Brett Brown, he changed up his regular substitution patterns because he realized JoJo had it going, and then once he was off the floor, it was pretty much over at the end of the end of the quarter. I, when it comes to Embiid, though, I think that is going to be close to the least impactful 30-point, 11-rebound game. <laughs> he'll ever have. We we spoke about this a little bit on our last podcast when uh, the Bill Simmons podcast comparing Simmons and Embiid, but JoJo's incredible impact is something that doesn't always show up in the box score. Now, it's not like you have to look that hard. You can just go to NBA.com and look at the, the on-off stats and, and you'll be fine. But with or that Ben Falk's new, uh, new expected wins while on the court. Did you see that? I didn't. I saw that he updated the site yesterday. The point differential when he is on the court plays as a 68-win team. When he's off the court, that's 42 wins lower. So that would be, what, like 26 wins? Ooh. Insanity. <laughs> Insanity. Uh, wow. Also, subscribe yep. to Ben Falk's site, cleaningtheglass.com. Ben Falk, of course, the former VP of Basketball Strategy for the Sixers, Incredible resource, uh, really good statistics. Uh, it has a great database in there, but also really good written content and film breakdowns. You'll learn a lot from Ben, and I promise we are not getting getting a dime for doing this read. So go check it out. So it's a, it's, a, it's a real legit endorsement. Not that I don't also endorse Harry's Razors. Of course, you can get your free <laughs> trial set over at harrys.com slash Sixersbeat. It's a $13 value. You just pay for shipping. I do legitimately like them as well. I do actually use them. I can... I have the receipt to prove it. I recently bought 24 blades to refill my, uh, you know, my, my razors. But Ben Falk, we're legitimately getting nothing. It's a great read. You'll enjoy it. Go on. I'm the, sorry. No, I mean, Harry's razors is <laughs> the, the once every two months that gets shipped to my house is a fantastic day. I, I realize that I'm not going to have to go to Walgreens down the street from my house to uh, to pay for shaving for the next couple of weeks. It's it's great. At half the price of competing brands, by the way. Abs- absolutely. Um, so yeah, we, we talked about how with Joel's defensive presence, the Sixers, they routinely blow teams out of the water. Even when his stat line is somewhere in the 16.9 rebound and six turnover area. That doesn't matter. He's that good defensively. Well, last night was the opposite. Jojo had some decent counting stats with the 30 and 11, but the overall impact wasn't there. And uh, as a guy who's very aware of what's going on around him, 
I've heard a couple times when he refers to those numbers and how he cites those in believing that he's the best defender in the NBA. But moving forward with uh, with what we've seen against Cleveland last night and then the couple, few games against Golden State in the, the weeks preceding that, uh, we saw what the Sixers are going to have to figure out over the next few years. It's no surprise that the two teams who went to the NBA Finals the last three years were the most successful in doing this, but they really hammered home how to drag JoJo outside of the paint. Because when it's him against another center, think Hassan Whiteside, that's going to be a wrap already. He's going to dominate that guy, and then he's going to talk shit afterwards on Instagram and Twitter. Like he's, That's not a problem. It's, uh, it's what these two teams did in terms of getting him out of the paint, which interests me going forward. Yeah, and here's here's the funny thing. Kevin Love was, you know, he was 4 for 12 from the field. He was 2 for 7 from three-point range. Jay Crowder, another, you know, playing more of a 4 than a 5, but he was 0 for 3 from three-point range. Channing Fry, okay, he had some success. But those big men weren't necessarily even lighting the Sixers up from the perimeter. But JoJo knew. He knew he had to guard them. And just that knowledge really pulled him away from the paint and opened things up for, you know, all of the drivers, LeBron James mainly, that the Cavaliers can then throw at you. It is kind of the right recipe to limit the impact Joel Embiid has. He was out of the paint up until, you know, what was that, the late third quarter when Love got in foul trouble. He was really out of his comfort zone. And not that he can't defend the perimeter, but that it it, it mitigates what he does well, how he dominates the game on that side of the court. And certainly the Sixers defense just didn't, it didn't look like itself last night. And it certainly is the, um, coaches aren't just telling their big men to shoot just because three points are worth more than two points. Like it's, it's never that simple. And the spacing that the Cavaliers had and the way they were able to attack the Sixers set defense is a big reason why. That is a prototype. That is a big reason why even when Joel Embiid's shot selection, and last night was a game where I think he was a little bit infuriating in that regard, specifically in the first half. But last night was an example of why Joel Embiid, even if you don't love his shot selection, you do want him taking some threes, some perimeter jump shots, because that does have an effect on the other team's defense. It would be nice if we made it more than a 25% clip, but you do want him out there sometimes. Totally, and and even that pump fake that really does nothing for the Sixers. <laughs> I mean, he'll pump fake and he'll beat the guy. Did you see that one play when he, he pump faked? And you had Covington on the wing, like, clapping for the ball. It was, and even if JoJo recognized him, like, he was midway through a pump fake, like, he still had another two seconds before he was done with that. Yep. And and as you said, though, even if he does nothing (laughs) with that pass when a guy's wide open, the big men are biting for that pump fake, which just shows you how open the lane is for people like Simmons and even Covington a little bit. Um yeah, and Golden State and Cleveland, they, they were successful in two different ways. The Dubs, they set high high screens for Steph and had him launch out of the pick and roll in a way that JoJo wasn't very comfortable guarding that. And the Cavs spaced the floor with their big guys, Love and Fry. And yeah, look, I mean, we, we all know the Sixers are a few years away from competing at that level, but th- this is something they'll have to figure out. And then uh, w- when it comes to his offense, I – just just watching the game at you know sitting courtside and watching it i couldn't believe he wasn't trying to give those guys the julius randall treatment just yeah. just uh, no finesse whatsoever just stick your shoulder into them and i mean kevin love lost all that weight just throw his skinny butt under the rim and channing fry has no chance of guarding you it it was a little infuriating and i mean some of those shots were step back off the dribble mid-range twos so I you know I I think after the game Brett said it's you know those are good shots for him but in that scenario I I think part of the answer moving forward when it when teams space Joe out with smaller guys is he's gonna have to torch them offensively yeah and I mean I think them really and and it doesn't have to be just layups you know he kicked out a few he made a couple nice kickouts when he did stick his uh, shoulder into those guys. And, of course, the Sixers shoot 3 of 28 from 3, which is just impossible to do. Um, but, yeah, he's got he's to gotta really become a dominating presence when they put an all-offense guy out there on him. Yeah, and, I mean, 
after just saying you need JoJo shooting from the perimeter, last night, you know, that's kind of as a season as a whole. Last night was a game where you really wanted to, you really wanted him to get down on the block. And I don't say this often about Joe. Like, I think, you know, are there times when he floats a little too much on the perimeter? Yeah, maybe. But by and large, like, I, I do appreciate that diversified game. I do like him spreading the offense for, for Simmons. I do like him attacking off of the dribble drive, even if maybe... It leads oh, I don't some, like that. Well, no, I <laughs> I like the effectiveness of it. I do not like uh, the, the positions that can put him in on the floor. But last night was a game, and when he put his mind to it in the third quarter, they had no answer for him. And you wish you could have had that all night, even if maybe it doesn't increase his own individual scoring opportunities. They would have had to collapse the defense. They would have had to rotate. And look, maybe you could have op- you know generated some open threes for the perimeter shooters. Maybe it wasn't going to matter anyway. Maybe they were just so off that night that they were going to miss. But maybe one or two open looks results in a make and maybe stems that tide a little bit. Who knows? Who knows? But the three for twenty eight is really the. I mean, if you had to pick, if you had to pick one reason they lost last night, it's real hard to win the NBA on three for twenty eight. I mean, if you do the math, if they shoot thirty eight percent, it's a one point difference between what it ended up being. And obviously, you can't do that. I mean, the Cavs took their foot off the gas pedal at the end. But a normal shooting night, that is a closer game. Yep, for sure. For sure. Uh, it's I funny. I, last night was only the second game in 11 that the Sixers starting unit was outscored for the game. Just the second one. Uh, and usually those differentials are, are huge, like preposterously huge. Last night they got, a, they got worked. They got worked. It was so weird. They were getting worked by Cleveland's bench too. Yeah. Yep. Uh, just, Hey man, it, it happens. It's after, one of those uh, after three quarters on the, on the floor, um, I think the Cavs were like a negative seven with LeBron on the court and a plus 21 with him off. It was weird to see. And a lot of it just came down to shooting. Like the Cavs bench, they shot from the perimeter. Sixers entire team did not. And that's a, it's a huge part of today's NBA. It's a huge part of the Sixers offense. And it was a, a very big part in the outcome of that game. Yep. And, and just to finish up yeah, my, my point on JoJo, because really that, that's the only thing that interested me from last night, besides LeBron James being entirely too good at basketball for the amount of minutes he's played in his career. Um, I, I had a couple of people tweeting me last night that that game was evidence of why the center position is irrelevant. And, I mean, come on. If you look at JoJo, that's clearly not the case. But, to their point, against these elite teams with elite wing players and shooting all over the floor – and just speed everywhere, there's going to be some trial and error for Joe. He is different than the other players that are impacting the game this much. It is, uh, it's not the easiest fit, but uh, it's, it's definitely something that I think in time he will become much better at. Yeah, and I mean, look, it wasn't, I don't think last night was a showcase that the center position is, you know, extinct in today's NBA. I think it's a showcase of, you know, kind of a a demonstration of how you can minimize, you know, just prevent JoJo from completely dominating the game defensively. But look, he had his he had his opportunities to dominate offensively as well, and uh, that is a trade off teams will have to make, and it's a trade off he's just going to have to get a little better at exploiting. So, um, yeah, I mean, he, and, he had thir- he had thirty points. I know, and and I mean, he he didn't play well offensively. He easily could have had forty. Yeah, and look, I mean, it, it's 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 you know, not every team is going to roll out with a Kevin Love and a Channing Frye at center. And oh, by the way, have just a complete man-child in LeBron James who can, you know, play that style of basketball and really eat up that kind of space. That's a unique team. There's a reason they get to the finals every year. There's a reason why after completely not caring for the first two weeks of the season, they've been just rolling people. You know, that that's a, that's a special team with great spacing and, and the most unstoppable force in the game. So it happens. I kind of appreciate that the Sixers are on the level of LeBron cared last night. Right. He, he, uh, and I mean, part of it is because the Cavs are rolling and I'm sure they don't want to stop the streak, but I mean, what did he score? 13 points in the first three minutes of that game. I I don't know exactly what it was, but he came out on fire. And of course with Simmons guarding him, who he's friends with, but who is, I mean, he's, he's heard people make the comparisons between Simmons and him. And I, you know, it was basically him saying, "Hey, I think you guys are going to be good, but not yet, right? This is still my league. This is still my conference, and uh, 
maybe I'll join you next year too. <laughs> yeah, we'll we'll get to that in a bit because there's some interesting takes on that possible scenario. Um, you know, I guess moving back a little bit, obviously Ben came back. He had that one game absence with the sore elbow. And there's a lot of debate whether he would play against the Cavs. There was no debate in my mind. His elbow, if it was attached, he was playing against LeBron James and the Cavs. You know, but the Sixers going back, they they played against the Magic the game beforehand and played really well without Ben Simmons. And big part of that, huge part of that, can't deny that, was the Orlando Magic. I believe they have the worst defense in the league during their eight-game losing streak, or at least they did after the Sixers game. Oh, man. Evan Evan Fournier's level of not give a fuck during that game <laughs> was impressive, and they, and he wasn't the only one on the team, but he he really stood out. No, um, but game of I don't I don't even want to say game of TJ's life. He's had a couple of them this year, uh, but TJ obviously came out filled in admirably, fifteen, thirteen, and seven. Sixers rolling though. I mean their their offense has been executing at a high level, and again they haven't been playing outside of the Cavs. They're only you know the highest level of of basketball. You know, but JoJo's coming out. He's playing well. Redick had a, a tremendous game, like you said, helped by Fournier not giving a fuck. But he had a tremendous game against the Magic, and you really saw what kind of havoc his constant movement can create on a defense. Covington has been a little up and down after that, that hot start. Certainly was down in a big way against the Cavs. I think he shot like, what, one for 11 from the field. And yeah, some of them were tough shots. Some of them were from 27 plus feet out, which. You know, you could you can complain about the shot selection a little bit there, but he also missed. I mean, he missed wide open corner threes as well. He was missing everything. And Dario, I guess, what's your take on Dario's play of late? Because he struggled for a lot to start the season. He even struggled a little bit when he was inserted in his starting lineup. Still up and down a lot, but it seems at least the effort and the hustle are getting the Sixers extra possessions. Yeah, it's. It's it's hard. I mean, his as Dario would say all the time, he's hard when when he does <laughs> answer a question. Um, My favorite Dario-ism, though is when he's answering a question and he sometimes like he rambles a little bit and he just goes, "I'm finished." <laughs> That's all. <laughs> and it's like you it, it, you just never know when he's going to stop, so he has to go out go out of his way to specify that he's done. I'm done. Okay. He's fantastic. I I want him on this team forever just because of his interviews and just how <laughs> some of the some of the looks he gives people on the floor when he gets in <laughs> in fights. It's great. Uh yeah, you know, I mean it's that uh it's that starting unit that got smoked last night is sort of giving me pause cuz it, it doesn't feel like Dario's still playing well. I mean, he's hustling, but I mean, what what's his shooting percentage at now? He's shooting 39% from the field. Uh 34% from three, um, you know, in, in a, in a yet lower usage role. But because that first unit is killing people, I I don't know what completely to make of it. Yeah. You know, obviously playing with Covington and Embiid and Simmons, it's going to help. And Redick when he's going, that's, you know, that's a good thing. Uh, but, yeah, I, I do wonder what, what would happen if uh, – even if his numbers ticked up a little bit on a bench roll, I feel like he should be playing on the be- on the bench more. But uh, you know, as far as Brett's concerned, I mean, if it ain't broke, don't fix it, right? Yeah, I mean, it's it's one of those things where the lineup is playing so well that you kind of go through. But you look at Dario's game log, you know, two points against the Clippers, seven against the Lakers, thirteen against Golden State, okay, five against Utah, eleven against Portland, but on three for ten shooting. 21 against Orlando because everybody scored. Uh, he played really well in that game, though. I don't want to take any, anything away. He had 21-7-4. And, and then eight points on four for nine shooting against Cleveland. So he's been really up and down. I love watching him play. I love the hustle. He's gotten a little more involved in terms of shot creation. Like He had a four-assist four game against Orlando, four assists against Golden State. He's been doing a little bit more in that regard. The hustle's there. The effort's there. He's shooting 20% from three over his last seven games. In that role that he's playing, the Sixers need him to shoot better. In that role, he's going to be playing for the foreseeable future with Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid here as long-term fixtures. He needs to make that shot. And Brett talked earlier in the season about how they really made an effort to get a little more arc on that shot. Um, I'm not sure I see it. It still looks as flat as ever. And at this point in the season, it's just it's not – it's not anywhere near consistent. And look, 
when Dario came over, I had a lot of confidence in that jump shot. Like I, that progression he made overseas, in especially when he, he moved over to Efez, he got better every year. And we just we haven't seen him able to extend that out to three-point range in the NBA and against competition that's maybe a little quicker in their closeouts. He's, his future is really up in there. We actually got, we're going to do a mailbag section later in the podcast. That will be brought up again, but he's, of a starting lineup that's playing pretty well, he's still very much an unknown for me. Totally agree with you on Brett saying his shot has more arc on it. I, that was something I expected this year. There was, you know, that little observation we did in the summer of the practice where it did appear he was shooting the ball higher up in the air. But, yeah, l- like you said, I'm not seeing it. I, maybe we need uh, Coach Nick from B-Ball Breakdown to break down the uh, the rotation of the shot, how you know, the the, uh, the angle of how far it's going above the rim. Well, if, if, if you give Dario or if you give Lonzo another couple of weeks in the NBA, he'll help Dario shot out. Sure, absolutely. The Lonzo <laughs> effect up. Oh. Love Nick, another member of the CLNS Media Network. Go check out his B-Ball Breakdown podcast. Um, yeah, but to move off Dario, I just think overall the losses to Cleveland and Golden State on this homestand were rough. And, of course, they were accompanied by calls for Brett Brown's job. They always are. They always are. I'm convinced the Sixers could make the finals this season. And if they got swept by Golden State, <laughs> Brett would be hearing it. Um. <laughs> Just, My favorite just thing to too is it's always it's always the timeouts or it's always like the the end of game execution as if those are the only two aspects of coaching or even if they are all on the coach for doing so like it, it's just especially with timeouts I feel like that's the, the easiest most obvious observation to make and if Brett mishandles one then it it just it completely mitigates everything else he did in the game for those eyes maybe those offensive sets that you didn't see that you weren't paying attention to maybe the way he schemed to take the ball out of a player's hand. It's just, those are harder to notice. The lack of a timeout is easy to notice. And man, it's just, it's, it's foolproof, man. Every time they lose a game now, it's, Oh, Brett Brown's got to go. And then three days after the fact, I'll make fun of it. People will be like, well, there was a middle ground there. I'm like, that's fine. You weren't saying that middle ground three days ago. You wanted Brett fired. It's amazing to me. It's amazing. Calm down, Sixers fans. Calm down. I uh, there is a middle ground, but guess what? The it should be closer to our viewpoint because well, everything should be closer you, to our viewpoint because we're right, Rich. We're always we're right. always right, but he shouldn't be fired. How about uh, how about what's his name? How about David Fisdale in Memphis? By the yesterday? way, I'm wrong a lot. I'm completely kidding. I'm not the one hosting a in person. We were right podcast. I want to make that clear. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. I I'm not saying that either but on this topic I do think we are right in that coaches I mean what he's built and how the players feel about him and the general offensive and defensive direction he has this thing going in he should not be fired for situational decisions that go wrong in Sacramento coaching is very much a you know what's the overall sum of what's happening and it's not a single play, it's not a single series, it's not a single game. But when you look at how this team is playing, compared with expectations, compared with, you know, compared with experience, compared with talent, this team's outperforming. The Sixers have been running. You want to talk about coaching? The Sixers out of bounds sets have been fantastic this year. And not just in terms of efficiency, but in terms of the way they've been diagrammed up. It seems like they catch defenses off guard all the time. It's unbelievable they get that UCLA cut for, Every for time. a layup. They got it yeah. last night for Bayless. It's unbelievable. I, it's Yeah, it's really good. This team is executing a single, you know, a missed timeout here or there, a run that they didn't stop, a superstar they didn't have an answer for. That doesn't change it. I get that you're frustrated. I completely get that. Just back up, take a look at the whole picture, and I think it's pretty obvious that Brett's doing a good job right now. That's all I'll say. Yeah, and... uh and to be fair to you guys who uh, who are calling for his job, I do understand that it's been a while that you've cared about the day to day with the Sixers in season. So you know, let's let's try and get back on track. And by the way, David Fisdale getting fired yesterday, like, I mean, come on, what? It just goes to show, I coaches get fired way too quickly in this league a lot of the time. Oh my god, uh, yeah. And they they usually get fired for reasons that have very little to do with themselves too. It's it's almost always a shit rolls downhill scenario, a, you know, I, 
I looked at it last night. With Mike Conley out, Dylan Brooks is playing almost 30 minutes a night. That's 45th pick in the draft rookie, Dylan fucking Brooks, who's playing okay, which, to be honest, you know, Fisdale should probably get some credit for. But he's still a, a second-round pick as a rookie. And he's playing 30 minutes at the point guard spot? Are you kidding yeah. me? And you're going to get on them because they're losing? Get out of here. Maybe you should have, maybe, maybe the Grizzlies front office should have given him a little more talent and made them a little less reliant on an aging, you know, when did Mike Conley come in the league? 2007? It was a Durant draft, right? Yeah, it was a Durant-Oden yeah. draft. You need some depth. You need some depth. That team is not equipped to compete. It sure as hell isn't equipped to compete when Mike Conley's out. And look, I get that there might have been some friction there with Marcus Gasol. There's been a little conflicting reports on how strong that friction actually was. But if that friction existed during the offseason and you felt like it was going to get to the point where you had to make a choice, don't use an eight-game losing streak because you have no talent as the excuse to make that move. Make it in the offseason when you have a chance to get an actual coach who can come in, put in his own sets, build up chemistry with the team, and not rely on an interim. It's it's ins- The way coaches are treated in this league is insanity to me. Insanity. And when you compare the Grizzlies' last few years with the Sixers, I mean, this was a team three years ago. The Sixers were going to Memphis. And I do actually think they won once there, weirdly enough. Might have been a big Tony Roten revenge game. I forget. But that is a team that would routinely blow the freaking doors off the Sixers. And they were successful. I mean, I think... I don't know how many times they've made the second round, but making the second round of the playoffs in the Western Conference is not the most difficult thing to do. But that was the path they chose, and they went all in, I believe, last offseason, or two offseasons ago, to uh, to re-up that agent core, giving Conley that gigantic contract, and Gasol was back. And now they're kind of screwed. And when I mean kind of screwed, they're very screwed. And it's not the coach's fault. They fired... Uh, of the of the coaches who have been fired, two of the last three have been from Memphis. Yeah. They they just fired a coach in in spring of twenty sixteen. It's insanity. insanity. Yeah. Um. All right. So, did, <laughs> but to take it back to the Sixers, who are now this young and up and coming team, the Cleveland loss was rough last night, but the week before was very impressive. They took care of business against averageish teams. I mean, I I say the ish. The ish is mostly for Orlando. Because they're not average right now. But that's what good teams do. They beat up on bad teams in their own building. Three games, three wins. I think the final margin for all those was, I think it was in between 19 and 21 points. That's pretty good. And a lot of people were saying it feels like January from last year. To me, it feels a little different in that January last year was just this exhilarating rush where oh my God, this is what it's like to win basketball games again. Um, I feel like most of those games came down to the wire. And while there were these great plays at the end of these games, and we did have our fair share of exciting plays last week, um, Embiid putting the the moves on Biombo in the post comes to mind. Uh, You know, that was pretty awesome. Those games were pretty ho-hum in a good way. It's sort of what the Eagles are doing right now, where they, they play the Bears, and there's excitement because they're going to win by 30 points, but there's not a lot of juice in the building because everybody knows they're going to win by 30 points. Um, it's it, Look, last night was tough, but I, I think basketball reference still projects the Sixers at 47 wins. 538 I, right up there, too. And while I don't understand exactly how they come to their strength of schedule, not to say that it's wrong or anything. I just I just don't know. Um, the Sixers, according to Basketball Reference, have played the toughest schedule by a decent bit in the entire NBA. So for them to be eleven and eight with a positive net rating, this has been a really good start. Yeah, yeah, it really has. And again, ten and four over the last fourteen. They are. I mean, like you said, some of the competition of late hasn't been the strongest. I would lump the Jazz without Gobert in there as well as as you know, pretty easy game. But they've been taking care of it. It's been it's been a pleasure to watch. Uh, I do think this is a lot more sustainable than what we saw last January, and uh, that's even without Markel Fultz giving any kind. And to be honest, I don't know if they're ten and four. If Markel Fultz has been playing, like TJ getting some of those minutes has probably helped them win these games. 
Not that you're going to, you know, you're obviously going to try to integrate Markel back when he is healthy and confident, but it is, you know, it, it, it's been a really good run, and there's a lot more upside left as this team gets better, as conditioning gets better, as jump shots get better, as shoulders get balanced. There's a there's a lot more upside left in this uh, in this season. So, and then and what's the schedule coming up here? We got Washington tomorrow night without Wall. Yep. Uh, Boston, Celtics. That's a tough that, one. That's hard. I'm not expecting a win there. Then Detroit, who's been pretty good uh, at home. And I believe Phoenix and the Lakers the next week. Yep. So you got two easy games, Phoenix and the Lakers. All right, Lakers might not be easy, easy. They're not the same as the Suns. Wizards without Wall is pretty easy. Pretty easy game, yeah. Yeah. Um, Easy-ish. Pistons at home, Pistons 13-6, and ninth best offense, or 14th best defense. They have a Pythagorean one loss of 11 to 11 and 8. I think they've gotten a little bit lucky. I feel the Sixers have already beaten them once. I feel confident the Sixers can, if they play well, win those. You could still be looking at a 4 and 1 stretch here. Obviously, it's not, you know, I think the competition gets a little bit harder, but outside of the Celtics, there's still some very winnable games here before the Sixers really kick off another road trip. Yeah. Good times, man. Um, Good you times. Want to talk about- which which uh, leads some people to ask. Are the Sixers the way to build the team in the future? Uh, and then which causes some CEOs to um, crow about things they have no business crowing about. It was That was a fun little uh, fun little exercise. You know, I'm not going to break any news here. I've, I've obviously heard some things. But it's also not news that Scott, I'm sorry, the CEO of the Sixers went out of his way to oppose a Michael Carter-Williams trade, really went out of his way to kind of compete against the long view the Sixers held for him to come out there and crow about uh about Embiid, Simmons, and Covington building a foundation. It was have a little self awareness, I guess is all I would say. But um, hey, it's his team. He he's the one making the big bucks. He's the CEO of Harris Blitzer Sports and Entertainment. I guess he can conduct himself on Twitter, however he feels. But I don't think very many people are falling for it. And that's uh that's all I got on that. All right, to uh, let's go to a <laughs> <laughs> let's go to a, a sunnier topic in Jaleel Okafor. Oh God, I'd forgotten. I, you know, we made an agenda of what to talk about. I'd actually, much like Okafor's presence on the team, I'd forgotten about this topic as well. All right, let's go on to you know, obviously he and his not he, I'm sure his, his representatives which reached out to Adrian Wojnarowski of ESPN had a real, like, woe-is-me article written about him. This quote from Okafor, In talking to other people in the NBA, talking to retired players, one thing I've heard them say is that what's going on with me isn't right, and they've never seen anything like it before. I know it's a business, but in my eyes, I don't know if it's a good business. Wow. He's really playing a sympathy card. First of all, is this really that awkward like is it not awkward is this really that unheard of is this really something that's never happened before like Nick Stauskas was the eighth pick in the draft and he's not getting off the bench like poor players don't play rich that's kind of that's kind of the coach's job isn't it like I don't I don't get it I don't get it so and I say this as somebody who agrees with him the Sixers should cub bait with him they should yeah and let him go I say I say this as Agreeing with him, um, the sympathy card is just—it's too much. That that whole article, everything that came across from him was just so heavy-handed. I, I mean, you're making five million dollars a year or six million. What is it like? How about you relax a little bit on the the team persecuting you here? And hey, by the way, Julio, you've been terrible your first two years. <laughs> That that has to factor in to you not playing. Now, I, I do agree that they should just let you go because from the Sixers' standpoint, I don't know what a second-round pick is going to gain you more than whatever goodwill you'll get from, from leaving Julio away. You know what is not helping this, though, Derek? The amount of NBA players who have gone out of their way to throw their support behind Julio I mean, this is the personality league, and these guys aren't afraid to speak their minds on a lot of topics. But I would say they generally don't chime in on playing time issues on other teams. Yeah. And yet we have Devin Booker and Jason Tatum 
Isaiah, Isaiah Thomas. Thomas. Yep. Leading this movement. I mean, think about the Warriors stars. They all took pictures with uh, with Daddy of a Pro wearing <laughs> the free Josh shirt after the game. Although that could have been them just going along with the joke. I mean, I, I don't want to necessarily lump them in on that uh, for, for taking the picture. It definitely seems that Okafor has a higher level of respect among his peers than the people who make the decisions. So I... <laughs> You know, it just it, that story wasn't news. Um, he is. It, it's very strange to see him around the team. It doesn't feel like he's even part of the team at this point. And the team, you know, the the higher ups, whether it's Josh Harris or Colangelo or Brett, they they seem okay with it. Remember the other night, uh, there was the weird "We want Josh" yeah. chant, uh, or "We want Okafor." I, I don't even know. It was a bad. It was. It wasn't a bad chant in, in what they were chanting. It was a uh, the uh, the syllables on it weren't weren't matched up exactly. Um, but Brett said basically after the game that he doesn't think it would be fair to play Jaleel out of nowhere. And I, you know I I don't know what to make of that. I, I just think it's a, at this point it would be really hard for Ja to get time again for the Sixers. So what what are you waiting for if the other teams aren't going to give up anything? Yeah, the only the only thing I can come up with, I don't think they're really angling for a second round pick. I think what they're hoping much more to do is if they get to the point where they want to be buyers at the deadline, they're now at the salary cap. They can't absorb salary like they could in a trade before. So I think they might be keeping him just to help match a trade. That's the only thing I can really think of. I don't even think there's a, a high probability of that happening because I don't think right now they want to take on contract for next summer. But you know, if something happens where a, a disgruntled star shakes out and maybe you could pursue him now rather than wait waiting until next summer maybe that ends up happening who knows and keeping him around for the contract matching is the only reason i can come up with and that's part of the thing with Ja. like look worst case scenario you stick around for another 2.5 months in your cut bait there's no way they're going to keep you around after the trade deadline when they can use that roster spot and they can also make you happy you know it's just ride it out We'll see how it happens. I'm not sure this whole sympathy play is going to really change Colangelo's way of thinking. We do know Colangelo is obviously worried about his reputation. That's one thing he does care about. But if he really thinks there's a chance it could use his salary in a trade, I don't see, you know, unless you're going to take a more aggressive approach. And I'm not sure, quite frankly, if Jaws comfortable doing that. Like, that's one thing I will give him credit for. I just don't know what, how this sympathy play that they're clearly pushing to you know, reporters is going to help their case. I just don't see it moving the needle, but I agree there, with you. I would forget matching salaries at this point. But then again, I'm also not like, I have a different viewpoint than Colangelo. I don't think it's, I don't think it's the worst thing in the world that they're doing to him. Like, I don't, I don't think this is, is they're mistreating him at all. Like players who have big contracts are kept around for salary matching purposes. It just happens like that. It, I, okay. Beyond that, let's go on to the other point in that article that I wanted to bring up, which was the asking price. And this is from Roge. Colangelo's asking price has steadily dropped from two first-round picks to a first and a solid player. Who knows if that's a real first, like a you know a Mavs-type trade, to where it stands now, which is a second-round pick. As for the politics of giving up the number three overall pick, remember, Colangelo didn't select Okafor over Chris Apps Porzingis in the 2015 draft. Sam Hinkie did. Which is funny to me, because if there's one thing that Sam Hinkie and his crew didn't give one fuck about, it was the politics of making a trade. Like, if they felt that, you know, twenty spring 2016 was the best time to maximize the value and they came to the conclusion he wasn't a part of their long-term future, they would have had no problem making a a, a trade. Remember Colangelo's comments. I'll, this is one thing I can't forget. I will not make a bad trade for this organization. Clearly he did, if that asking price is true, and he's dropped from two first-round picks, who knows what he was being offered at that time to now where he'll just he'll take a second-round pick just to get him off. Clearly, your absence of a deal itself was a bad deal. And I think I had more confidence in Hinky recognizing this, recognizing where Okafor's future was with this team and where the trade value was, was um, likely to go and acting on that. Here you have Woj kind of saying, like, here's a reason why... Colangelo's okay moving on from him. I had I had more confidence in the previous group based on past history and the MCW trade. 
to uh, to have gotten a little more from this situation. But, of course, you do have to remember, which Colangelo will point out every time, he didn't select Julio Okafor. Yeah, you know, and, and he's right, but it, there's a high level of excuse making there <laughs> right. in that, come on, man, you, you, everybody knows that the best time to trade Ja now, and I think we were pointing this out back then too, was right when you showed up in that off season. You, um, you can go back to, back to the podcast we recorded in the summer of 2016, and we said right from the jump, there is no way you can go into the season with uh, with Embiid, Noel, Okafor, and Holmes. There's no way. Like We were talking about moving on from two of them. Now, granted, we wanted to keep Noel, and maybe that was an impossibility because Noel didn't want to be a backup. Um, th- that's information that we're not privy to, but certainly I think you can make the case that Noel wasn't going to be happy being a backup, and that's fine. But uh, we certainly felt one or even two of those had to be moved. Had to be moved that summer. It didn't happen. It was a mistake. It was a mistake. Yeah, and then to make it all all worse, uh, Ansel Elgort from Baby Driver also <laughs> posted on Instagram that the Sixers were ruining his career, and I think the quote was, "He should go to the Spurs. He's going to be the new Tim Duncan." <laughs> yeah. Um. Yeah, it's you know that's something. Did you see Baby Driver? I did not. I did not. Pretty good movie, uh, much better than uh, than Ansel's basketball uh, opinions for <laughs> sure. Uh, really good movie and driving scenes, or uh, really good music and driving scenes in it. Um, yeah, I, it's I, I can't believe we're still talking about this. It's uh, th- there's no new news. Like he's in a tough spot, but they're not withholding his wages. Right, he's still a part of the team and. It goes back to what we said a few podcasts ago. Everybody, all these NBA players are saying, let the man free. And that's what Josh is saying. I just want to get on with my career. I think when he leaves the Sixers, he's going to find that the demand for his services are not as high as he thinks. Well, the good news is he's still only 19 and he can go out and drop 20 and 10. So he will get he will get more opportunity. I don't think he's going to roll out of his bed and get <laughs> multiple big money offers. Yeah. It's these are, these other NBA teams are smart too. All right, so. can we can we stop talking about Ja? I'm I'm Okafor'd out at this point. Uh, Sounds good. I would rather watch a D League game and talk about a Mecca Okafor at this point. Let's head on to the mailbag. Uh, this one from Dylan DeAngelis at that nerd Dylan underscore. Why the underscore? Was there really a that nerd Dylan that you had to create a second? I, anyway, um, what's, <laughs> a great your, question. what's your revised win projection for the season? 11-8 versus the toughest schedule in the league has to change that expectation. Uh, okay, so the... I think I was at like 40-41 and you were at like 38 maybe? 38. So yeah, I, I, I would revise it. Um, and, and the main reason why is, yeah, I mean... the. The record and the point differential are really good. Simmons is the real reason I would revise it. Uh, and Okafor is playing about Okafor. Jesus Christ. Um, and Bede's playing about ten minutes more a game than I think we would have expected. So, so yeah, and, and that's what I was going to get to. Uh, JoJo has played way more than I thought he would. And if you told me that he was going to play that amount of minutes and that amount of games to start, maybe I wouldn't have said eleven and eight, but it would have been a lot closer to five hundred. Uh, so, so. You know, the question is, can he still make it through the entire year? Um, I do th- I, I do think it changes my expectations a little bit of how good they are when they're healthy, but can Joe stay healthy? So if I had to revise my win prediction, I, I, I'd probably make a, a pretty big correction here. But, but again, I mean, it just takes one injury to Joe, unfortunately, which would just throw everything into flux. But yeah, from, from what we've seen so far, 43, 44 wins. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, at this time last year, we were all gushing over Embiid, and, you know, I kind of said that it feels like we have a false sense of security in his health. And I didn't expect, you know, I was worried about the foot. I wasn't worried about a knee. But I still feel like there's a, and I hate to be the downer, I think we might at this point be underestimating the injury risk in Embiid just because he's healthy and playing right now. And, I mean, playing through falls and spills and heavy minutes, and he's, he's pushing forward and he's he's been fine. 
the injury concern is always going to be in the back of my mind. I'm never going to be as bullish on their win total because I do worry even about the slightest little bit of of an injury or pain or swelling causing a, a little bit of a prolonged absence. And I do think there's a little bit of a, a regression coming for Covington. And I yeah. think we may have already been seeing that. So I'd probably say 45, 46 wins. Like I'm still probably a winner or two higher than you. But I'm not gonna. You're not gonna get a, a 50 win and a three seed out of me yet. Like I'm gonna need to see a little bit more. Hey, but but here and here's the. I, I guess the point I probably should have made right away. If we get this Embiid the entire year, or just I, I shouldn't even say this Embiid, this amount of Embiid the entire year, and Simmons could stay relatively healthy, I'll give you that 50 wins and a three or a four seed. Oh, for sure. I'm just. I'm still always in the back of my mind is going to be that concern about him missing you know, 15 games in a row or something like that. It's just, I, I can't get rid of that yet. I can't. Um, all right, from uh, Jake Mark 23 on Twitter, why haven't we seen Fultz increasing his basketball activities pregame or in shoot-around, and has anybody gotten a look at his jump shot lately? You remember, they didn't, the last update, they said he would be reevaluated in two to three weeks, but they did say during this period he would be ramping up his activities. So, so, about a week ago at a shoot around, uh, we walk in for the last either five minutes of practice and they're either scrimmaging or working on sideline out of bounds plays or something, or, you know, in terms of shoot around, and this is often the case for the, yeah, a pregame shoot around, they're just shooting, they're going through shooting drills at the various baskets. There's two or three guys at a basket. Uh, Fultz, since the injury, if he has been practicing, he basically leaves right away once we walk in, um, whatever he's doing. I'm not saying he's working on his shot during those practices because we don't know. It's They're they're close to us. Last week, me and uh, myself and Kyle, we walked in. Kyle mentioned, I think I was looking down at my phone. I was probably uh, tweeting an injury update or something like that. And, and wait, by the way, have you seen Steve Kerr when he gives the starting lineup updates, no. how uh, theatrics he does. He basically, um, like like last night, he brought a deck of cards to announce <laughs> that uh, when he announced that Curry and Durant weren't in the starting lineup, uh, he realized everybody was going to tweet everything right away. So he announces Steph and KD aren't in the starting lineup, and then he worked on his shuffling for the cards, and he just said, "Just tell me when you guys are done." I, I know it's, uh, <laughs> I, I know this takes a little longer with the two names. Uh, pretty funny social commentary by the uh, the two time champion coach there. Um, so anyway, that day though, I, I wasn't looking exactly. Kyle mentioned that he might have seen a shot, and as soon as I looked up, Markel took one more lefty jumper and then sprinted off the court. So the main the main answer to that is. Obviously, long long story short, no, we haven't really seen him do anything in terms of shooting. So did no righty jumper that you saw? I didn't see it. Kyle said, I, I think he said he saw one, but he was right back to the old left hand when I looked up. So I feel like we're we're chasing the Loch Ness Monster here. Yeah, I'm chasing Bigfoot right now. I, uh, I still think the last time I saw shot. him shoot a real non-heave jumper was back in July. All right, next question. Um, From Bryce, Godfather Payne, at Godfather Payne on Twitter. Do the Sixers look to add Paul George this offseason? And I guess what I'll say, I'll amend this a little bit to, because LeBron was here last night, because you had signs hoping he comes to the Wells, or hoping he joins the Sixers next season, would you look to add a superstar in free agency? Because this question, for some reason, has elicited some backlash to it, and I want to get your take on it. <laughs> My take is that if Paul George or LeBron wants to come here, LeBron first and then Paul George second, uh, you shake his hand and say, how much money do you have? <laughs> There's, I, got, I got into this on, on Reddit the other day, and my question was, or my response was, yes, if the best player on the planet wants to play for your team, you let him play on your team. It's not. This isn't the rocket science part of team building. There, there's some real tough questions when it gets to building an NBA contender, and the Sixers have answered a lot of those. This isn't one of them. They're like, well, but you already have two superstars. Well, you know what's better than two? Three. Like it's this is this is, this is not the calculus on this is not very difficult. And look, 
would some of LeBron's theatrics annoy me at times? Probably. Do you want LeBron to have the power to make, you know, personnel decisions? No. But then again, he's coming into a spot where he's he's got a roster pretty much set for him to join. Yeah. Look, he's the best goddamn player on the planet. You let him play for your team. It's It's really that simple. And he's shown no signs of slowing down, which is preposterous in and of itself. But, uh... Look, you're a title contender for the next three years if you sign LeBron James. It's that simple. It's that sim- That's what the process was about. Get get the stars to compete into May and June. I We played the clip of, of Hinky that said that exact phrase last episode. Go back and listen to it. Yeah, you sign LeBron James. I love, love, love everybody who supports our podcast. The, the process trusters mainly. We are two process trusters here. But it does feel like some people – are so comfortable with uncertainty to steal a line from Sam that they are uncomfortable with certainty. Right. Uh, yeah. If Paul George wants to come here, what uh, have you? What, what have you made of? Uh, have you seen Oklahoma City play a lot? Not a lot. I've seen a, I've seen a couple games, but not a lot. So I, I haven't seen a ton, but it just seems like he's not getting the ball at all uh, for them. I mean. His usage is down to, I think, 25%, which is lower than what, what he had in Indiana. Um, it just, it, it would be quite a culture shock from him, for him, uh, from a basketball standpoint, to go from the team who makes the fewest passes in the league to the team who makes the most. Uh, and that would be cool. That said, uh, from all the reporting that the national guys do, uh, Woj, Howard Beck, Mark Stein, it seems like Paul George really wants to play. In Los Angeles, no matter how fucking bad the Lakers are, so th- that would be the worry. But if uh, he and LeBron are the two big superstars that are available next year, the two big non-point guard superstars, and if either of them would want to play here, that would be a fantastic outcome for the Sixers. Yeah, I mean it, it really is. And look, the Sixers should have enough cap room and should have enough draw in terms of current and future stars and competing hopefully into the playoffs, that you should hopefully at least get a sit-down with those guys. And maybe that sit-down just exists to <laughs> force somebody else's hand. Not that LeBron James needs anybody needs somebody to boost his value like he's getting the max anyway. Um, also, of that sit-down, go, go Google Scott O'Neill, the New York Knicks, and LeBron James and see what comes up. It'll be an interesting summer to watch. And that is, again, mentioned the CEO of the Sixers twice in one episode. I'm sorry to do that, but... He has been in the news. All right. That that does crack me up, by the way, uh, being in the room. Com- coming in third, but hey, we got him in the room. Hey. We talked to him. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's a place the Sixers haven't been in for quite a long time, so it is a – Well, and, and for the Sixers, unlike all these other teams who get into the room, the Lakers, who basically for three years stake their whole franchise to what they were – were able to do once they got in that room. The, you know, the Sixers could walk out losers and still be fine. Right, and then you go out and you, you sign Avery Bradley and you have just a, you know, a really good starting five. Yeah, they, 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 they're going to be okay. Uh, they're going to be okay. Okay, this one from uh, the idea enthusiast. Okay, whatever. What is Dario's future? He seems like a potential trade piece. Don't feel like he's being optimized and don't feel like he will be. We We kind of touched on this. I would say, I'm not going to say trade Dario. To be honest, I'm not even sure what his value is. I think if you want to do that last offseason was probably the time to do it. I think both you and I were not as bought in on Dario as maybe the rest of Sixers fan base was. And, and sometimes you stop talking about it because people got a little overzealous of uh, of protecting their, their children, which it almost seems like some of these prospects are. But I will say nothing's off the table for me. Like if, if if there's an offer that comes up for Dario that you feel is an equivalent talent, and maybe might fit with your core better. You have to consider it. And there's going to be some tough, you know, there's going to be some tough choices you have to make while, while building this team into a contender. I like Dario. I love the way he plays. I love the effort. I love interviewing him in the locker room. He's always, uh, always something unexpected is always on the table. When you talk to Dario, that being said, if there's something that helps your team more, Get locked into Joel, get locked into Ben Simmons. You know, hopefully Markel comes back, you get locked into him. And you're locked into Covington. Those are those are your four core guys. Everyone else, anything could happen. They're really good. They're really good. 
Yeah, I, I don't have too much to add. I, I agree with the uh, the line of questioning. I don't feel like he's being optimized. Um, it's not the easiest spot. He can be a little bit of a tricky fit, and he's especially a tricky fit when you have somebody like Ben here. Uh, the one thing I will add, though, is that he is on a great contract for two more years. Yep. After this year. So. There's no rush. No rush. I, I would have said if you wanted to rush and trade him last offseason was probably it just because his value was probably peaked. Uh, especially when he considered what his expected role was going to be coming forward. Right now, I don't feel like there's, I, I don't feel like you have to beat the market to an evaluation. I think everyone's probably caught up. So there's no rush. So let it play out. See if he continues to play well in the starting lineup. Give him shots. Give him touches. Give him creation opportunity and see where it goes from there. Fine with that. Yeah. Uh, hold on. I had one more. Last one. I'll cut this I'll shit I, I oh, got go it. Who would be – this is from uh, Matthew Satulo. Who would be your ideal free agent or trade option that you think will fit perfectly on this team and for how much? I'd make a run to trade for Clay Thompson. That, uh, to be clear, that was the mailbag question guy saying the, the trade for Clay Thompson. Yeah, it was my, uh, was my question voice not uh, – should I? Uh, I was, just, I was just develop making a sure that, that wasn't that was, yeah, people didn't read that as you because I've got the question right in front of me. I eventually found it. I want to make sure people realize that was not your suggestion. Okay, it, uh, Matthew is the one who'd make a run to trade for Clay Thompson. Uh, for me, yeah, uh, for me, Stauskas. Uh, they uh, <laughs> Clay. I mean, Clay is the guy, and you've brought this up a few times. Two years from now the Warriors are going to be super duper duper expensive. And he's the guy that comes off the books. Uh, would he be a great fit in Philly? Oh my God. Yes. He's, it, it's funny. I, I think obviously LeBron would be the best fit because he is the best player by a lot. But if you took everybody around the league, who would be the perfect fit with this core? And we're assuming Fultz can turn into something. What we've seen in college, Clay Thompson is the, Absolute best fit in the entire league. He would, oh, God, he'd be so good here. Um, I, I don't know. I don't think Golden State's going to trade him while they're not ridiculously expensive yet. I mean, they're they're expensive, but nothing that Joe Lacob can't afford. In free agency, though, it, it, it'll be like I think, and you're probably more educated on this. Uh, the decision for me this summer that'll be interesting is. Do you go after somebody like Avery Bradley, or would you try and roll over the cap space and sign Clay next year if you think that's an option? Or maybe you could do both. I don't know. But if if you told me LeBron wasn't available, Clay Thompson would be the next guy who's going to be a free agent in the next two summers that I would certainly make a run for. Yeah, it's a it's a good question. I think one of the, first of all, forget Clay until he's a free agent. Like. The Warriors are not in such bad financial shape where they can't keep the core for this year and next. And giving up a chance at two more runs at a ring and two more runs at, you know, possibly the best season in NBA history. Like, they're not giving that up. They're not going to be like, oh, well, we got to, we might lose Clay in two years. Let's maximize value now. That's not where they are in their, you know, their team life cycle. Like they're they're going to go out and they're going to compete for those, those championships. And it's always going to be better to keep, keep Clay than to trade him. I don't see any way you you can trade for Klay Thompson. I think the argument is, do you not spend your money next summer so you can spend it in the summer of 2019 and try to get Clay? That's a good question. You know, I was on a podcast recent, recently with Danny LaRue, and he brought up a good point, and that <clears throat> this summer you have a number of secondary and tertiary options. If you miss out on Paul George, if you miss out on LeBron James, you still have Avery Bradley. You still have Danny Green. You st- still have Contavious Caldwell-Pope that you can go out and pursue after that. And with the number of teams that have money, you should be able to get one of those guys. Whereas in 2019, first of all, more teams are going to have money because the cap's going to jump up about $7 million. And also, there's just not the depth in the free agency class. You've got Kawhi. You've got Clay, But after that, you start getting into some names that really aren't going to move the needle. So can you pass on a guy like, let's say, Avery Bradley on the slight, slim chance that you can go out and get Clay the next summer? That would be tough for me to pass up. It would. I, I like Avery Bradley quite a bit. I know a lot of the advanced metrics 
don't necessarily love them. I also don't necessarily love a lot of the defensive ad- advanced metrics for one-on-one perimeter guards. But I think I think Avery Bradley would be a really good fit. I think especially when you reduce his role a little bit, he's shooting the heck out of the ball right now. And I just I like some of the secondary options that could complete this starting unit and complete complete this team. Whereas for me, passing and hoping that in 2019 you can get the big fish would be it would be difficult. And also, and I said this on the podcast with Danny, punting seasons now that Joel Embiid is playing like a top 10 player in the NBA, certainly top 15 player. I don't I don't want to sit down and and go over each player and somebody go like, oh no, he's 11th. All right, whatever. He's a top 18 guy. Yeah, right. Um, with Embiid playing like he is and with Embiid healthy and with the nagging thought that that could be taken away from him at any time and with Ben Simmons being better than expected early in his career, punting seasons to me carries with it some risk. And if you can go out and look, I don't know what adding Avery Bradley to next year's roster does when you factor in the development of Embiid and Simmons and Fultz. But if that's a 55-win team, decreasing the odds of getting there is tough for me. And I don't know if that team beats the Cavs or wherever LeBron's playing next year. I don't know if that team beats the the Celtics. But I do know that team has a shot. And like I said, just punting a season with Joel Embiid being so uncertain, I do feel like you're going to get to a point where it makes sense to kind of, you know, hit, 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 hit the go button for a phrase that a lot of, a lot of anti-process trusters use. I do feel like we're going to get to a point where there's real risk in passing on guys like that. It's 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 a real good question though. It's a real good. I guess one other area pivoting to a trade. You know, OKC right now is eight and eleven. They've got the second ranked defense, which I'm not sure I saw coming, and the 21st ranked offense, which I sure as shit didn't see coming. Can they blow it up? Like, can this continue to go on? They're still ninth in the Western Conference. Their Pythagorean one loss is a lot better. I think they're expected at a 12 and 17. But they also wouldn't be the first team in the league history to be unlucky for the course of a season. So I wonder if they're looking like they won't make the playoffs. And again, I'd be very surprised if this happened, but surprising things happen. But if they're looking like they're not going to be in the run for a playoff spot in two months, could they move on from Paul George knowing that he's going to go to L.A.? You know, that that would be interesting. And I don't know what you'd get for that. You know, they obviously can't offer him a designated player extension. So I think that chance of them moving on is even higher. I don't know what you'd want to give up for a couple month rental, but just seeing how he would fit, I think there's some value there. That would be real interesting to me. And I don't want to give up like a huge asset to get him, especially because of his uncertainty and his free agency status. It would have to be for the right price. But I do wonder if they're going to be sellers at the deadline. Again, if they continue to struggle the way they've struggled, which I don't expect to happen. Yeah. I don't really have anything else to add to that. I just talked for like 10 minutes straight, and I apologize for that. It was was an impressive monologue you just had. Uh, It was definitely a monologue. I don't don't know about the first part of that statement. So I I guess to wrap it up, upcoming schedule, we got Wizards tomorrow night. We we touched on this earlier, but at Boston on Thursday, I believe you'll be there for that one. Yep. Uh, Pistons at home, and then Suns at home. And then Lakers after that at home, like you said, I uh, you know, it, it's sometimes people can get down after a, a big loss to a team like Cleveland. That to me feels like at least three and two if they continue to play at the level that we've seen so far. Yeah, it'll be real interesting. People are going to ask, and you know, to be clear, we're recording this on Tuesday afternoon. Uh, they didn't have a practice or any media availability today, so we won't have any idea whether Joel's playing. You know. Typically, historically, they've tended to play Joel on the home part of a back-to-back. They have, I, th- I think there have been instances where they played him on the road portion. I feel like there was a national TV game when they did that last year that pissed some people off, but hey, it happens. So I don't know whether Joel's going to play against the Wizards or the Celtics. You wonder if they're going to maybe be a little strategic in keeping him for the better team, which would obviously be Boston on Thursday. But point is, recording this Thursday night, we don't have media availability until tomorrow morning. We don't know what their plan is yet. That we means, don't know Ben Simmons either. That's true. He had the, you know, he it was another one people wanted updates on. Obviously, he had that ankle injury that took him out of the game last night. He left the locker room before the media was allowed in. 
Uh, I think Keith Pompey had a what was hold on. Do you remember what Keith's update was? I believe that the X-rays were negative. negative. Yeah, I and, think that sounds right. And that they'll reevaluate them tomorrow, which is today. Which uh, we don't have an update on again because there's no availability for it. So we'll we'll have more information on that tomorrow. And and actually not at a not a shoot around. There's no shoot around tomorrow. So. Uh, so yeah, this is why if you're covering a team, you should read your email. Yeah, you know it's a little overrated. Uh, but there, yeah, we're not going to know what Ben's status is and what Joe's status is until uh, pregame media availability a couple hours before the game. So uh, you know, it feels good. It feels feels like we're back to old times. <laughs> but I agree with you. Three and two is on the table. Even more if they if they get on one of these runs again. We'll see. And look, three and two puts them at you know what are they, eleven and eight? Uh so that would be fourteen and ten. I'll take it, Rich. I'll take it. I think everybody in that organization will take it too. Yep. Especially Scott O'Neill. All right, thank you for jumping on. We'll talk to you soon and have a good one. <laughs> see you, man. Also Harry's dot com slash Sixers Beat. You've been listening to the Sixers Beat right here on LibertyBallers.com and LibertyBroadcast.co. We'll